Hi, you're listening to the Prospect Roads podcast with Niall Lawler and Ewan Friars. Podcast listeners of the world, from Bhutan to Belgrade, Bratislava to Balibogi, welcome to the 19th episode of the Prospect Roads podcast. Thank you so much for listening and continuing this ever-expanding journey with us. As always, I'm with the insurmountable Niall Lawler via internet connection, bringing you another installment of adventurous goodness in interview form. Firstly, hello Niall. The photographs you have been sending me suggest that you're in some kind of parallel universe of crippling beauty. How are all things Canada? And what are you doing right now? And please, can you introduce our subject, this podcast? Fuck, I did it. That, that's impressive. You First should try. take a voiceover work. I actually should get into that. That was really good. I, I was, I'm, I'm kind of in awe. I don't really want to talk now and ruin that. Yeah, once I got started, it just kind of, it was like falling down a set of steps or something. Da, da, yeah. da, 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 da. I'm going to need to work on my next intro because that, that was a class above. <laughs> I'm yeah, living in just, your I shadow just, now. I just threw that down a couple of seconds, man. That's pretty good. I'm a Your writer. Mind. Where does it go? Well, how are all things Canada? Go. Uh, it, all things Canada are... All things well, Canada all, all, is great. All Nile Lawler things Canada. <laughs> no, Canada is very nice. Um, yeah, I'm just back from a trip to a place called Whistler, which is a ski village outside of... Um, uh, Vancouver and it's it was gorgeous as it is a ski village um, mm. everything's set up for the winter but it's beautiful in the summer as well and the sun was shining down and the weather was lovely it kind of reminded me a bit of um, that place uh, that you stayed in Ponte Royale is it or yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah in the sense that it's very enclosed it feels like very Truman show you know you open a door and you're in this like picturesque little place oh um, yeah okay yeah yeah it kind of has a similar vibe to that but um yeah, we so we drove there last week and it was the, the drives were stunning. If anyone follows me on Instagram or uh, Facebook, you can see a bit of it. Um, I've taken loads of photos, so I'll probably try and formulate them to into some kind of one piece of work at some stage. Yeah. But, um, well, I mean, like the first the first images I got from you, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Then the second, I was like, whoa, that, that you know, these are astounding. And by the third, I w- I was questioning whether you'd just been like googling you know amazing yeah. photography and then sending <laughs> yeah. it to me or something it, like astounding images Thanks. absolutely beautiful and, and they're all t- i mean they're all taken on my old phone uh, for what it's a terrible phone but the camera on it's actually quite good but it's just you know when you're driving somewhere and you're taking photos of roads and you think they all kind of blend into one it's like okay that that's a nice kind of like uh, a visual and then yeah that just it just kind of becomes similar, but every every turn and every it was like these other like sprawling landscapes. It was just really, it was yeah, it was just really breathtaking and you know worth documenting as much as possible. Yeah, so you were taking that on. Was it the Jayu? Uh, no, it wasn't the Jayu. Um, no, it was just, a, just to explain to our listeners, the Jayu was like the, when everyone had iPhones, you were kind of like on a phone that you would win in a two P machine in the in the amusement somewhere. Yes, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And 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 I remember 
when I first got it, and <laughs> I think it was Ethan was just like, "Nah, I'll just suck it up and get a real phone. Stop trying to be smart about this." <laughs> and uh, I, it, it lasted me about three months. So, oh well, that was it was a nice piece of work. Yeah. Um, but, but can you can you introduce our uh, our subject this this podcast? Yeah. Um, so our our subject is called. Uh, that makes it sound like she's like part of a medical experiment. <laughs> this week's subject is no. Um, Sorry, man. I, I I'm a bit late, but I've been watching that Stranger Things. Oh yeah. Okay. Should we talk about that first? And uh, good, right? No, I, I I definitely don't think I'm like qualified to be on a podcast talking about a current TV show. I'm just it's not my world. Like I'm not good at that. Okay. Uh, sorry, but yeah, um, yeah. Our, our current that. Our guest this week is a, a woman called Janetta Barry. Uh, she's uh, a professional heart player. Um, she was actually a friend of the owner of where I am right now, and we just kind of. She was just chatting about her, basically what she's been up to recently over dinner, and she just kept throwing out these like really mad scenarios and these like fascinating stories. And I was kind of just like, and I think I was saying this before we started recording, you know almost like having this podcast has ruined my like ability to have a normal conversation because anytime anyone says something interesting i'm like potential guest yeah <laughs> yeah and then totally <laughs> but um yeah so i just i got chatting to her a bit more and i was like this is this is really interesting and she was telling me about how she started a project to teach kids um music in favelas in rio rio de janeiro but well, I do. I think politically, you can't call them favelas. I can't remember what the t- term for it is anymore. But um, that was really fascinating for me because re- earlier this year, I read a book about a, a guy who lived in the favelas in, in Rio, and yeah. just hearing about it firsthand from someone who was just there, you know, because I formulated all these images and what it was like to live in that kind of environment, um, and then talking about talking to about that like uh, area with her. Totally, yeah. yeah, and just getting that first hand, yeah, because yeah. like it's it's really interesting. I've listened to um, the interview that you did, and it's funny that you know you said to me on one of ours, I think it was maybe the one I did with Robin. You were like, if I had to pick, you know, a quintessential Prospect Roads guest, you know, that would be it. Yeah, yeah. And whilst your interview is short, you know, I definitely got that flavor straight away with the one you've just done. So, yeah. um, I think if, if I think if we've got listeners who are really into the podcast just because of that kind of shifting you know topic base they'll really enjoy this one yeah Um, and a nice and a nice thing about it is you know because we obviously you know we started it as a as a lens of the world through our experiences of music and this is another look at that you know it's a kind of look at how music can help you travel and experience the world but it's so so different from our experience of touring you know she's like teaching these really like um almost like people in poverty about music and just scenarios are so different from what we get as like people who play in bands and play to people who go to gigs yeah and probably whenever she was performing in a classical setting the venues and stuff were probably like the grand yeah you know, totally yeah concert halls of europe or whatever yeah very um, much so. and as i said the interview is short um you had to nip away at the end to do some work but uh is there anything that that was in it that you wanted to get onto that maybe you'd spoke about before you did the podcast that you didn't get to touch on well yeah she um she used to live in germany um Mm -hmm. and her husband was a classical musician as well and you know she she touched upon it a bit but she like you know 
uh, toured Germany playing classical music. And I, I don't know how the term tour relates to that. Is it the similar kind of vibe as, you know, you go into a city for one night? I think it's all, it's obviously very different to what we would know as a tour, but I guess yeah. traveling, traveling, playing music is known as a tour in, in some way. But mm. um, And just hearing about that environment and classical music in Germany and just living in Germany as well. You know, she mentioned, she was mentioned she, uh, she loved living in, there, but she, eventually when she had kids there, she wanted, she didn't really, um, she wasn't too keen on the schooling system, the education system in Germany and eventually just moved back to Canada. Um, wow. And as someone who traveled to Germany quite a lot with the band, you yeah. know, we always loved Germany so much and I, I always thought, you know, maybe that'll be a really, like, that'll be a great place to settle down just because the people were so nice and it was quite, you know, there's quite a lot of uh, interesting, well, there's so much interesting history and a lot of, like, uh, just really good attitudes I find I find but just Definitely, hearing that yeah. kind of different uh, experience of it was quite interesting for me well, well maybe if there's any listeners out there who have been educated in both the Canadian and German education system maybe they could uh, reach out to us and let us know their experiences yes that sounds good not, not that that's a specific request or anything <laughs> we want dissertations yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, just before we start, I just want to mention that I um, experienced my first earthquake. No way. Yeah. Fracking it was, was it? it <laughs> no, not quite. Um, we were sitting in the breakfast room and like plates started shaking, and we live quite an air- near an airport, but so you know you'd hear like the quite loud noises and uh, something like that every so often. But it, you know, it was definitely everything was shaking, and. Whoa. Everyone just kind of looked around, and then it stopped. It really was, it was like such a minor one, and um, everyone was kind of like, "Oh wow, wow, that was an earthquake!" <laughs> and having a laugh, and I was kind of sitting in my chair, sweating, like <laughs> contemplating my existence and how how life is so fragile. <laughs> yeah, that's mad. What an experience to have. I mean, congratulations. It was, like, it was so small. I can't stress that enough. I don't want it to make it sound like I was, you know lived through this uh, massive monumental uh, event but I think just how I think I'm more uh, scared of things that I can't experience in the UK so like I'm terrified of bears here which I think is quite rational but everyone's very like blasé about it and uh, turns out I'm terrified of earthquakes too bears and earthquakes I mean there's there's probably there's worse things to be scared th- of there's worse things to be scared of exactly um well you keep fearing and um i'll see you soon uh listeners thanks again please enjoy this podcast thank you good, very much good goodbye good, good bye hello i'm here with uh janetta Bury. is that right yeah yeah perfect. good uh how's it going great are you enjoying your holiday here oh it's fantastic yeah so you've been coming to God's Mountain for over 10, well, nearly 10 years now. Um, for someone, for the listeners, how would you describe this place and what is it about it that keeps attracting you back here after all this time? Oh, well, it's a really special place. It's um, What attracted me the first time is I, it was recommended by a friend and I had spent a lot of time in Italy. I lived in Germany for 16 years and so every summer I went to Tuscany. Oh. So when I first came here, I was thinking, oh, who would call a place God's Mountain? How can you call it that? You know? yeah. uh, <clears throat> and so I was driving up the road the first time, and I thought, okay, this is like Tuscany. 
and then you get to the top of it and it's this Greek sort of villa and it was it, for me it was the closest I could be to being back in Italy yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just a really spectacular spot the light is incredible the, the people are amazing yeah it's wonderful it's very um yeah it's very Mediterranean <laughs> I think that's what I found when I first got here and uh, that's funny you say about God's Mountain because and why would you call it that? Because every time we've done an introduction to the like a previous interview of the podcast, I've always made the same joke that I think it's a euphemism for death. You know, it's like kind of like progress. Like I'm going to God's mountain. I'm on my way. But, um, well, I remember when I thought, you know, because I was really skeptical about the name, and as I drove up that road, I thought, okay, this is totally aptly. Named. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think uh, someone was saying that the guy who owned it before, Sarah, what's he uh -huh. called? Um, uh, Ulrich. Ulrich, yeah. yeah. He's trying to open another one called, like, Heaven's Ascent or Heaven's Ascent or something like that. Something oh, really? equally I biblical. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, yeah. yeah. And, and you, uh, you, you kind of had an arrangement with Sarah about playing the harp, is, is that right? Well, it's kind of de developed over the years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I've stayed here sort of as an official guest a, f a few times, and then a few times I've been driving through to Vancouver with my harp. I'm a harpist. Yeah. And uh, so I would have the harp in the car, and then I just kind of say, "Well, Sarah, if I take my harp out of the car, you know, can you find a room for me?" Yeah. <laughs> and so I would pull the harp out of the car and play out on the balcony, and for the guests, or just play. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah and then stay here for a night or two. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. That, that fits quite well but with the God's Mountain because well, we were having a chat the other night about you you're telling me you want to kind of break the perceptions of what the harp as an instrument is mm -hmm. and you know you kind of have that angelic <laughs> sound to yeah. playing a God's Mountain but can you can you tell me a bit more about that um, you're, so you're a professional harpist yes and one thing you're you're aiming to do is to like showcase the harp as a kind of more um, a instrument with more variation Right, yeah. yeah, because there is that perception of it being this, this heavenly angelic instrument, yeah. you know, which for me is, I mean, I understand where that yeah, comes it, from. Yeah, it is that, but it can be more. Right, yeah. it can be the sound, but, you know, for me, I, I mean, being, being a harpist for, I mean, for over oh, 40 years now, a professional harpist, uh, the whole idea of this this instrument sitting on the clouds is is so ridiculous yeah, for me. You know, exactly. my dream of what heaven really is is a harp that's actually light enough to sit on a cloud, <laughs> and you never need to tune it. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then, then it would fit the picture. Yeah. But uh, for me, it's I mean, it's a really it's a very powerful instrument. It's heavy. You have to be very strong to play yeah. it and to, to move it. All of that. Um, it's a very demanding instrument in a lot of ways, and so there's for me there's there's never been anything sort of fluffy or kind of superficial or yeah. light about it. I mean, it can have that, but it has so much more depth. So it's really drawing on that with with composers that I've worked with as well, and the different the variety of of, of sounds, yeah. the sound palette that you can get from it yeah. that people just don't know about, um, as well as as educating even my colleagues about how the harp works and what it's capable of and what the pedals do and all those kinds of things. I mean, it's just a very unknown instrument. Yeah, it seems like, um, yeah, it, it has that in my head. I, I see one person in the corner of a really artsy cafe or, or you know, like a very nice restaurant that kind of yeah. has that. But how do you, um, <clears throat> how did you get into playing harp? And I guess a lot of people who would listen to this podcast might be musicians like, how did you make the step from just being uh, either a really great harp player or somebody who's passionate about the harp to being a professional harp player? What was the transition? 
Um, I don't know that there was ever really a transition in that respect. I mean, I decided when I was three that I was going to play the harp. Okay. My, my parents gave me a toy harp for Christmas, you know, and it was intended as a toy. It wasn't, you know, with no other kind of yeah. intention, but I fell in love with it. And so um, they insisted I take five years of piano first, and which I hated. Okay. Uh, so when I got my five years of piano, they was like, okay, where's my harp? <laughs> um, so that, that passion was really always there. <clears throat> um, and, you know, then I continued on with my studies and, and basically just went right into to being a professional musician. You know, I did competitions and all that sort yeah, of thing. And, yeah. you know, it was a fairly smooth... Uh, process for me, um, and it's but it's it's developed over yeah. over decades as well. You know the the kind of music that I play. Um, I'm always looking for for new things to try again, expanding. Yeah. You know, reaching out to to to, to see what's possible. Um, yeah. I've certainly been trained as a classical musician. Yeah. So and always very in awe of of jazz musicians, people who, who can improvise. So in the last say five years, that's something that I've really been exploring oh, myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, exploring also the modes and so a lot of earlier music as well, Gregorian Gregorian chant, and looking at how you can play with that yeah. uh, on the harp. So it's it's been a yeah yeah just looking for and, and new impetus you know i guess do you have a preference would you prefer like as playing as part of a group or do you do like just kind of the tranquility of playing alone i love playing in a group um but i also i love variety so yeah. you know i love playing in an orchestra i wouldn't want to do it every day of my life yeah uh but i do love it when i'm there i love playing chamber music that is really my my favorite, you know, with yeah. two or three or four other colleagues you know, who are all great musicians and you just, there. I mean, there's some great music available. Yeah. And then to improvise with them as well, yeah. and just playing off of each other, and that's just a really new, exciting um, aspect of, of my work now. Yeah, and cool. Yeah. And as, as part of uh, your work in music, you were telling me the other night you um, set up a project for, to teach kids mm -hmm. music in in uh, Rio de Janeiro, mm -hmm. is that right? Can you tell us a bit about how that started and your experience in Rio? Right. Well, I'm a very passionate teacher, yeah. and that was something that I never thought I would do. And at some point, again, at some point in my career, a, a, a parent asked me to teach their daughter, and yeah. you know, I was highly resistant, and um, finally said, "Okay, well, I'll try it," and, and fell in love with teaching. Yeah. And you know, that was I don't know, almost thirty years ago, probably now. And uh, so over the last few years, uh, you know, I've, I've expanded my teaching more as well at, at home and then decided to take a sabbatical. <clears throat> and through colleagues and connections, uh, just a, a conversation that sort of started, uh, a colleague asked if I would be interested, you know, in spending some time doing some teaching in Brazil while I was yeah. on my sabbatical. So that's really how it started. The, the whole thing snowballed after that because I realized that these projects, these are social projects in Rio, um, one in the city of Rio de Janeiro and the other in a different city in the state of Rio de Janeiro. Okay. So it's always a little bit confusing when yeah. a city and state have the same name. Um, and that happens in a lot of parts of the world, by the way. <laughs> it's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so what happened was that they, they asked me to do this teaching, but they actually didn't have any harps. So these were music projects that were already in existence, but they didn't have any harps. And of course, the, the cost of one harp 
would be about the same as 20 violins, yeah, say. Right, yeah. So, of course, they would be buying 20 violins yeah. and not one harp. So then I started a fundraising project in, in Canada before I went away and managed to raise enough money to buy, purchase three harps to donate down there awesome. to the two projects. Yeah. Yeah, and then just, you know, continue yeah. from there. And, yeah. and you were working in a favela, isn't that right? Um, how did you find that experience and, like, how did it kind of, how, how did you find the difference between, work, say, working with a, like, Canadian kid from <laughs> a relatively uh, wealthy background to someone from quite such a poor background? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was interesting for sure. I mean, huge difference. Um, a lot of the kids in the favelas you know, don't have a lot of um, sense of, I guess, maybe discipline or social social skills in that kind of a situation. So I wasn't really doing group classes, but in one of them, for instance, I had two harps and four students who were in the room all yeah, at the yeah, same yeah. time. So, you know, you're trying to work individually and giving the other students something to work on while you're working for five or ten minutes with one student and so that was something that they really had to learn was how to be respectful yeah. to each other and how to not sort of blurt out whatever thought was in their mind <laughs> yeah. how to be respectful of the instrument themselves you yeah. know they just they didn't have a sense of what the value was because you know these are kids who for for whom the idea of ever owning an instrument or, you know, an iPad or anything like that is so far beyond their reality yeah. that they just really didn't have a concept of it. So, yeah. you know, as an example, uh, one day when I was teaching with one student, another student actually took a pencil and wrote on the harp. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, it was, was not a great moment, but it was a learning moment for, for both of us oh, wow. because I just didn't... I, I had... It was... For me, it was a moment that sort of said, okay, I understand, or, you know, kids in North America would understand yeah. and value this and how you would just never, ever do that. But for this child, it was just, yeah, it was, it was you just write on your desks yeah. at school, you know, well, so, okay, fine, you write on your, like, without thinking, yeah, you know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a conscious choice, you know. Um, they're very, very motivated. Yeah. And uh, one of the projects that I work with is actually in a, in a different city now. I've, I've been back um, since then. Um, one of the projects, the kids walk for two hours, you know, or they'll take public transit two hours each way every day yeah. just to practice because, of course, they, they have to go to the project to practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, you know, uh, incredible. I mean, I certainly don't have students in Canada who would walk one kilometer. Have that kind of level kilometer. of dedication, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I, I remember yeah. I kind of had that, like... A guitar teacher literally at the end of the road and some weeks I get back from school and I'll be like nah I'll give it a rest I'll give it a miss this week I don't need that but yeah. it's amazing you know to, to think about the impact that music could have on those communities it does yeah yeah and you really see it in those kids I mean their lives are really changed by it and, and that yeah. changes the lives of the people around them you know and, their families and how did you find the actual um kind of atmosphere in that area because I guess uh, from what we've been getting in the news has been it's quite um, hostile mm -hmm. and there's a lot of uh, unrest maybe because of the amount of inequality. Did you find yourself? You said you find yourself um, mm -hmm. trying to be a bit less kind of touristy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly try not to be. I'm really obvious, and, and you don't wear any kind of fancy jewelry or anything. But uh, you know when you're 
a traveler as I was, and which yeah. I consider a very different thing from a tourist. Yes, yeah. Um, you look different anyway. You're clearly not flashing any sort of fancy yeah. stuff. But you, you're very aware. You make sure that you don't carry a lot of money with you. Uh, you know, really you try to keep things minimal because yeah. if you are accosted, which, I mean, many, many people are. There's yeah. no question of that. I never was. Um, well, I think I was actually once, but I kind of talked the guy out of it. Um, but Charming. T- yeah, but typically what you'll do is if somebody does uh, mug you or whatever, you just give them your stuff, yeah. everything you have on you, and you just say, whatever, just do take that and leave me alone. You yeah, know, just kind of plan accordingly. Um, yeah. yeah, and, um, you know, unfortunately it's the crack addicts that are so unpredictable that that's where, you know, that the issues happen. So, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll rob somebody and then take a knife out and kill them anyway. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's really scary. So you, you just, you have to be very aware, but that's the same wherever you are, when, yeah. especially when you're traveling, but even at home. Yeah, know, exactly. Uh, you just kind of work out how a place works and, and how you fit into it and yeah. kind of try and work your way through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love to have the time to talk with people on the streets. So in the favelas, you know, I would always take time to chat yeah. with the, the locals as I would be going into to teach on a day. Yeah. And, and they would see me, you know, coming in two or three times a week to, yeah. to work with their kids. I mean, they, the word gets around quickly who you are, what you're doing there. Because, yeah. you know, you don't, a, if you don't well, belong, from what, right? what I gather, it seems like a very like, close-knit community. Yeah, very, yeah. very much. Yeah, and not not just the, the individual favelas, but the favelas, which you actually call, officially you call them communities now. You don't use the word oh, favela. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but even these communities are so supportive of each other. I remember yeah. one night I was there and I was up in one of them actually for the wake of a, of a the sister of a student of mine and, uh, which was an incredible experience as well, being, being part of that sort of an intense yeah, family sure, time. Yeah. Um, but the, the community on the next mountain over was black and so they were talking about how there was no light oh they don't have any electricity because the electricity in the in the community yeah. is all stolen right okay. it's all illegal <laughs> um so this one community was completely dark and uh, and they had mentioned it somebody said oh you know i can't remember cantagallo is the name of the community that was dark so oh, cantagallo is dark tonight oh yeah and then it at some point, the lights came on, <laughs> and this huge cheer went up from the community that I was in. <laughs> yeah, they got their light, <laughs> and it was it was just so cool to be part of that yeah, community yeah. experience. Yeah. You know, was, you know um, to have that kind of celebration about something that we take for granted, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, so many things. I mean, I I did travel a lot for basically for a year, and in uh, other places, parts of the world as well. Well, you know, Fiji and Nepal in particular that there's so many things that we take for granted and, and exactly, electricity yeah, yeah. Is, is one of them and um, yeah just uh, recognizing how I mean how important it is but as well how you can live well without some for of sure. those things that we think are, are so so necessary so what do you do when you have no light and it's dark at you know six thirty at night. Mm-hmm. You have no electricity. Well, you sit around a campfire and you actually chat. Chat, yeah, exactly. You you don't sit on the internet because yeah. you don't really have the internet access. That's very good anyway yeah. if you have it at all. Um, you know what do you do at lunchtime? You know you're you're out harvesting rice. I mean this is obvious. This is in Nepal, not in Brazil. But you're out harvesting rice with twenty people. 
and for an entire day and you'll sit down and you'll have your couple of meals together out in the field and mm -hmm. you're sitting and chatting again you're, you're not on an iphone or or, or anything else you're 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 being you're being part of a community. Yeah. You know, it's really incredible. I, I wish I could um get into more of that and if you ever return while I'm still here we'll move further this chat. Yeah. But unfortunately I have to go to work now. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to drive home. Oh, no. okay. I've got a nine hour drive ahead of me. propaganda they going through their message like their mentions on twitter and i'll just be like all these arsenal fans <laughs> it's like what the fuck yeah <laughs>